Hello and welcome back to ESPN Scrum Reset for another week. It's Sam Bruce, joined as ever by Christy Doran. And mate, just uh, full disclosure off the top, I'm a little under the weather this evening. Uh, a bout of um, gastro uh, picked up on uh, the weekend has knocked me around. So if I'm not usually at my sprightly best, that is the reason. But great to see you nonetheless. Um, we were thinking about delaying this a little bit longer, but of course, the big news of the weekend uh, meant that we just had to jump on and and for me to pick myself up off the canvas and here I am. Well, look, Australian rugby thanks you for your service. It's you've always been a person for the game, though individuals bigger than the game itself, and your testament to it. So fingers crossed you get back to 100% soon enough. But uh, yeah, you're right. There's been so much to talk about this weekend. Really, over the last week since the Suwali kind of rumours started to get tossed about more and more and spoken about, not just with uh, within the media, but certainly with the players, coaches alike, Eddie Jones batting away questions. And it all came ahead Saturday afternoon and uh, huge, huge signing. What, what are your impressions first up? Like Joseph Suwali, he's not going to be in Australian rugby for another 18 months or so, but it's it's certainly created a, a lot of talk, a lot of headlines and, a bit more buzz back into Australian rugby. Yeah, I think you're right. I think it continues the momentum of, of Eddie's return this year. And, you know, I, I freely admitted that I thought Dave Rennie deserved the opportunity to go through, but we moved on from that. Um, Eddie's back and it certainly was a um, a busy few weeks in the media, both he and Hamish McLennan and Andy Marinos, even all on the front foot. And I guess this continues that I'm, I'm not surprised by, you mentioned the developments last week. It was sort of Wednesday, Thursday when, this hit the media that the uh, decision, a deal was was nearing completion. And I think you and I were talking about this just privately and, and discussing how that virtually since James Tedesco re-signed with the Roosters for, for 2025, I was certain that this was a done deal then, this deal for Joseph Sully to join Australian rugby. Uh, it's forever been the mail that I've heard back virtually since he first signed with South out of school that there was a bit of a plan that rugby was going to be as good a shot as any getting him in 2025. We know he's signed these one year deals first with the, with the rabbits. And then when the roosters got him, the rabbits had no issue or didn't want him to uh, have these clauses in. Hence why he left for the rabbits to get to the roosters. But I thought the Tedesco uh, extension was the the final, um, you know, nail in the coffin for one of a better expression uh, that, that uh, the final sign rather that, that Joseph would be coming to, to Rugby Australia and the, and the Waratahs. Now, um, 1.6 per season, that's a lot of money. Um, it's probably unprecedented. Uh, I don't know what Izzy was getting at the top of his time. We know that uh, a large chunk of his um, contract was being paid by third parties outside of Rugby Australia from the, the business community here in Sydney. And I think one family in particular from memory um, who eventually pulled the pin when, you know, that all took a turn for the worse. But I'm... I'm for it. I, I think he's I've, I've, he's a guy I've watched. I followed this story since he was 14, 15. I watched him out at Parramatta playing for Kings um, a couple of times and was immediately all struck of just how similar his movements were to Izzy. Um, his, uh, his physical development through his school years was described to me by one coach as like unlike anyone he'd ever seen for his age. Um, and that was from 20 years of coaching um, schoolboys um, around the world. So, yeah, look... I, I mean, people are going to pick it apart and and that's, you know, it's reignited the code war, I guess, hasn't it? That's it's been everyone from Brandon Smith at the Roosters to um, a few others having a pop. And of course, Peter Volandi's on the front foot, wasn't he? Hamish McLennan fired back today, but I'm genuinely excited for for what he can deliver. Um, I, I guess my question to you is, is um, have you been surprised by the rugby league response at all? Uh, is it, is this a win for, um, Eddie Jones and Andy Marinos on that front. Do we need to put that aside and just say, forget the code war? Um, how much you know, an impact do you think it's made on, on rugby league the last few days? I think it's like showing and <clears throat> throwing some bait into the water with sharks around. The NRL are just taking it, aren't they? They're just taking it every single moment. And I think that's great. I think any opportunity to get rugby in headlines is always a good thing. And for the rugby league community to continue to bite on it, Clearly, he's a very good player. Yes, he hasn't played State of Origin yet, but you, you take guys like Greg Alexander's comments and Brad Fittler's comments last year and showing 
saying how tough he is, how physically tough he is and how impressed they are as a 19-year-old in his first full season of the rugby league. Oh, look, I think the world's uh, at his feet now and we're going to see him on the international stage. I think it's a brilliant, brilliant signing. Uh, it'll create interest. It will drive sponsorships. It will drive eyeballs. There'll be more people walk up starters to Waratah's games as a result. And I just think about the impact that Falea had on a super rugby brand as much as he did from an international brand. He was the leading try scorer in super rugby history and he only played for six years in, in super rugby. I think that tells you how much of an influence it can have to have one big name player like a Falea. And now you see it in a Suwalihi. Uh, very similar attributes. I think the NRL will continue to get frustrated the more that Eddie stokes the fires um, and, and, and it won't be the last. And I think everyone is aware of that, whether or not it's a Cameron Murray or Nelson um, Stoffer down in, in, in Melbourne. Um, there will be a number of guys on the, on the watch list and whether or not everyone gets them, I don't think it really matters. I think you only need one or two and it will start frustrating and it will become an irritating itch for people like Peter Verlanders particularly. It's a bit of a, a chicken and egg scenario, isn't it? We, we know there's been some criticism and certainly you and I, uh, we want the Wallaroos to get more money. We want that program to develop over the next few years. Um, similarly with grassroots, we want money to go in there. But I mean, this is the kind of signing that puts extra zeros on Jersey sponsors, isn't it? it? It puts bums on seats. Ensure we get hopefully somewhere back to near sellouts for the Bledisloe again. And I was explaining this to um, my wife on the drive back yesterday, pre getting gastro um, around uh, a bit of an anecdote around when I was in Japan for the world cup and at Shinjuku station, which is, you know, just a mind blowing uh, transport facility. And it took me well, probably six weeks to get my head around it. And then it was time to come home. But on the flip side, outside of that station was a massive billboard with the Wallabies and their ASIC sponsorship. Now, God love rugby league. I, I love a good game of Mungo as much as the next person. My dragons are going woefully and that's hurting, but it cannot offer you that. It cannot offer you the chance to be that global sporting brand. How much do you think that would have been used in negotiations with Suwali'i and his management? I, I guess with Izzy as... The, the hallmark because he was kind of front and center. I think he went to uh, Japan at one point to be part of their, their Jersey construction. He was kind of the, for one of the better expression, a, a test bunny or whatever. Um, how much do you think that was used to, to help get him over the line? Obviously the money's massive, right? But the opportunity to more earn more money on top of that by what rugby offers from a global perspective is something that rugby league can't match. Oh, totally. And I think Hamish McLennan regularly cites that. It's it's the great thing that rugby has over the AFL and the NRL is that it is a, it is a truly global game. So, of course, you're going to leverage that, aren't you? And uh, yes, and, 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 and even other people like Taniela Tupo, the idea of staying in Australia rather than going overseas, here's an opportunity to improve your brand as a person. Yeah, I know that a number of Wallabies close to Rugby Australia often say, well, why did people like David Wilson end up coming to New South Wales? Like, you know, there, there's reasons why people, players, former players, uh, Jason Little rather, um, end up at the Waratahs is because Sydney is a huge, huge hub for networking and for business reasons and perspectives and whatever it might be. And that was another driver of why people were saying, Taniello, go to the Waratahs. Um, I think it's huge. And Israel Folau... He's someone that's been in contact with Joseph Suwali. They've been he's asked the question, why, why come to rugby? What's rugby got to offer? And from my understanding, Flower's been very open, transparent about his experiences and why rugby's so great. So he probably, we can probably, as the Australian community, can probably thank Israel Folau to an extent for getting Joseph Suwali across across the line. But it's it's a huge signing where he plays. Look, it could go any direction and it's still 18 months away before he might go on a spring tour. So it, it would be putting the horse before the cart at this stage. But fullback, wing, centre, he's a guy that has so much class about him. And, and I think Australian rugby at times 
because they want to be seen as someone that we're always fighting, that we've got to look after our grassroots, that they'll flourish, that there is a small section of the rugby community that goes, we don't need these guys. Hang on a moment. You haven't won a Bledisloe in 20 years. I think you actually needed some star power and a couple of guys to elevate the performances. Marika Korobetti, Israel Folau, the two of them have absolutely carved up international rugby as well as super rugby. I think stop being so pig-headed, embrace Joseph Suali for who he is and what he will become because he'll just do some magic on the footy field. I'm convinced. What will this deal, will it shift, I guess, um, the private equity front? Um, we know, I, I think it's they're meeting with the states in the, the coming weeks and months to kind of settle on a, a blueprint for the exact kind of investment they want to take on and then they'll go to out to market with Silver Lake and CVC, obviously top two of um the firms who are who are likely to to make an offer um does that add to does that help i guess that sale does this face like suwali say well hang on this is the guy that yeah this is for if we're going to do if rugby australia going to do what new zealand rugby do and created a, a, a separate commercial entity to be sold off a percentage of surely he's the face that you know um they need again a bit like that japanese story that um He's a guy that can say, well, hang on. Yeah, this, this kid's got something. This is a guy we can market commercially. Um, will that help get the, I guess, push the private equity deal over the line? Not that we we think it was, you know, unlikely not to happen anyway. Like there's been a lot of momentum behind it virtually since New Zealand did their deal. And with the runway of events that Australia have got with the Lions Series and World Cups, it's got to be a very attractive um, proposition. I, I guess it's, a, you know, just a, another feather in the cap. Yeah, and I think, yes, that will be, I think, a contributing factor, star power. Super Rugby needs to have stars, and here's one. We've, we all hear about the stories of players leaving to go overseas. Well, here's one that's coming across to who's a big, big player across different commercial markets, different competitions. So I think that's an important aspect for sure. But I, I, th- I always point also point to the fact that Rugby Australia under Hamish McLennan and Andy Marinos and previously Rob Clark have made some seriously tough financial decisions and been, in McLennan's words, the most prudent Rugby Australia administration board ever with getting money back, um, tightening the belt, getting it leaner, more efficient. Um, And I I think he was quoted just recently, perhaps in the ABC Today, that they've cleaned up $40 million worth of, of money that's now that they're not having to fork out all the time. They were completely bloated previously, the administration. There was something like more than 200 people working at Rugby Australia. Uh, they've made some tough decisions, and I think they'll start to reap the benefits of that in the years to come because it will be more leaner and it will be efficient. It's got some great things coming into the game over the next five years. So you put it all together and you start to see that there is some light at the end of this tunnel, this two decade tunnel that's just been pretty gloomy and dark for a long, long time. On the flip side, I did think that there was a shred of truth to Brandon Smith's comments yesterday that it's not going to help you would beat the All Blacks. Now he will make a difference. I have no doubt about that, but there's a big problem position or probably a couple of positions that Eddie Jones is going to need to address after this year, we know Quade Cooper's highly likely to be the man at the World Cup. Uh, he's 35, I think, next week. Um, you know, as good as Johnny Sexton's playing and and certainly uh, would preclude you from uh, saying that, that playing um, Test Rugby at number 10 is impossible beyond your 35th birthday. Um, it's it's unlikely that he's probably going to go on and be the man for, for 2027. On the Away from that, we've got a, a number of 10s who are all about the same level at this point um and that's got to be the focus along I, I like where the tight five is is headed i think it can get better yet but i think for the first time in a long while there's there's depth in positions coming there so the angus bell injury hurts this year no doubt about that um some locks coming through but it's number 10 really that's got to be solidified in the run to, to 2027 isn't it because you think of all the great teams that have won world cups um they've had that that just world-class number 10 at the helm. And, and it may well, you know, eventuate with with Ireland and Johnny Sexton, Sexton this year. But one of these guys, that's got to be where the focus is because I think, in fair enough to, to Brandon Smith, that 
yeah, he's, he might score the odd try, Joseph Sawili Ian, and make breaks and, and everything, but you've got to have playmakers who can control the tempo, who can steer your team around, who can play in different styles and fashions. Uh, and at the moment, at this point in time, Australia doesn't have the the fly half, probably outside of, of Cooper, a 35-year-old Cooper who who is capable of doing that. Yeah, I, I think it's a really valid point that you make, Brucey. In fact, I was on SEN New Zealand radio this afternoon with the great Beaver Donald, and he brought up that same point. He said, who's your 10 over the next few years uh, beyond this World Cup? And you wouldn't know, would you? At the moment, you're thinking maybe Carter Gordon is starting to blossom. He's starting to get there. But he hasn't played a test match, has he? He's hardly played more than a dozen Super Rugby matches in two and a half years. So uh, good question. I think it would be way too early to tell. But, you know, if Quade Cooper can go well at the Wallabies in the World Cup this year, who's to say that he can't? Like, he's he, he looks after his body pretty well. And, yes, he's been injury riddled for a long, long time, more than a decade ever since that devastating injury of the 11 World Cup. But who's to say that he can't keep playing when you're only playing for five months of the year in Japan? Sure. It's an interesting... You know, the, the world's changing with sport in terms of how, how long players play. And you're right to point to Johnny Sexton, 37, and he's playing as well as he ever has. And I think Carter Gordon's definitely one... I like the fundamentals of what Tom Liner brings to the game with his skills, but he hasn't ever shown and he doesn't look like he'll show that real raw speed that a Bowden Barrett or a Richie Mwanga possess. Um, I think the nine's just as crucial to the 10 at the moment, particularly with the rush defences and the physicality. I think it's it's so, so crucial. We're seeing the, the awesome impact that Antoine Dupont offers every week. Um, Isaac Lucas is a guy that I'd like to come back. I don't think he's necessarily an out-and-out 10, but he offers a Damian McKenzie-like yep. ability at 10-15. He's someone that I think that he's 22-23, a reasonable age that you go, okay, start to circle those sorts of people. He's played four years of professional rugby now, three years in his, what, 2021, yeah, fourth year of professional rugby, six years down the track when it comes to the Lions. Does he come back in 24? midway through 24 potentially he could um he's up in japan at, at rico at the moment so he's one part of gordon i think i'm not convinced by the tars tens at the moment um but we know that scotty bowen's son jack is is a, is a promising yep. player on the rise i think will harrison could show a bit when he eventually comes back from his injury we know that he was playing behind a really badly beaten forward pack in his first year of super rugby and he, to be frankly honest, he looked all right. And and of course, you've got guys like Noah Lollasera, Jack DeBrusini. Those two are interesting people in themselves. Rajan Pasatola, I think there's enough to go one or two of these guys is going to be well, a handy player. Who's going to step up? And it's important to keep those guys that are 22, 23, 24, keep them in the system because we'll find some, we'll, we'll eventually find that diamond, maybe not so much in the rough, but we'll find that diamond soon enough, I think. Well, it's quite the group there. I think you've probably dropped seven or eight names there that, you know, uh, clearly one or two of these guys will probably head overseas at some point um, because of, you know, they're not getting an opportunity from from a test perspective. But yeah, there's there's got to be one or two, even three of those guys that you would hope would would come on. And we might come back to, to Carter Gordon when we, we talk um, some, perhaps some Wallaby bolters with the, um, Eddie Jones's first uh, training squad to be named later in the pod. I, I guess to put a bow on the Suali'i situation, um, do you think this will affect uh, other players who are thinking about re-signing at the moment? Will it give... Not yet. Uh, will, will blokes get the shits um, and head off? Or, or do you think it can also have the, the opposite effect where it's like, my goodness, I want to play with this guy? Yeah, good question. Something that I think... I asked that to a few people last week. Um, look, let's who's who's off contract next year? And it's, it Mark Nwanganito asked, he's re-signed for a one-year deal to stay. So he'll be off contract in 24, as will Jordan Bataille. Uh Apart from that, which, which backs are really off contract? You know, Nick White's off contract this year, but he's 33 turning 34, I think. Um, 
do you really want to be resigning you're resigning him for a couple of years on big dollars when you've got guys like Ryan Lonigan coming through the system? Uh, I don't think there's too many that will be off contract. Max Jorgensen, he'll be off, obviously he'll be off contract at the end of 24. But are you telling me that a young guy that's going to be in the mix will give up once in a lifetime opportunities to play in a Lions series or a Home World Cup? I just can't see too many of them. Unless it's Charles Piatow money that the Bristol Bears are offering, you know, one and a half million bucks for guys that have only played a handful of tests, you, the market's not going to be allowed. You're not going to be able to keep the odd exception of that player. But I think for the vast majority, if you're a good player, ambitious player, players that Eddie Jones wants, someone who wants to put the Wallabies first and wants to be a Wallaby, you, you're not leaving. So... I can't see Mark Nwanginiwasi as a 22-year-old deciding, yeah, 23, 24, I'm leaving because their dollars will actually increase if they're part of a successful Wallaby side. Yeah, and uh, certainly a, a back three of uh, Suwili'i uh, Jorgensen and, and Nwanginiwasi has got to excite Waratah's uh, coach, D- Darren Coleman, although he said if he doesn't start winning, he probably won't be coaching in, in 2025. Um Let's, before we get to the Waratahs and Chiefs from Friday night, uh, the Brumbies, look, smart coaching from Bernie Larkham this, um, using a, a game, and I was talking about it with someone through an analytics perspective. Uh, you know, probably, what, 10 12% chance of, of beating the Crusaders, although who had a few injuries themselves in Christchurch, right? Um, is that, are you thereby doing the right thing by resting a, a swathe of Wallabies as Bernie did and, and setting yourself for the Waratahs the next week at home, which will come, you know, is, is probably more of a, you know, it's the, it's a game that they're likely to win um, or sorry, more likely to win than say the 10 or 12% of the Crusaders game, but equally the Waratahs will, will come at them hard. So was this just smart management given we know that the Wallabies rest protocols have, have got to be gotten out of the way at various times throughout the season. Is, is that how you see it? Or would, would you have liked to have seen, the Brumbies send a, a full-strength team over there to, to really give the Crusaders a run for their money? I think it's smart from a Brumbies perspective. It's potentially a smart coaching. Is it a good thing for Australian rugby? I don't know. I don't, I don't think so. I, I would have liked to have seen the Brumbies go over there and do a job on a Crusaders side that was missing. For me, the most dependable player in world rugby in Sam Whitelock. Yep. The, the fact that he wasn't there... I would have gone, you know what, we are a strong chance, you know, a side that's missing the likes of David Habili, Will Jordan, no Sever Reese. There was an opportunity to go over there and make a real statement. I think that's an opportunity that's been missed. But on the other hand, it is a World Cup year um, and you can understand it. I think it does build squad depth. Uh, it gives guys like Ryan Lonigan and Andy Muirhead, who's probably you know, a, a, a I don't know if he's a wallaby, but if you're wanting to further your case, the fact that you've played a game at fullback, you've played all right, it actually might um, bolster his chances, further his chances perhaps. It probably, you know, they will be humming and they should be humming come the Waratahs. Big first 20 minutes for the Brumbies to find that groove because as Drew Mitchell pointed out, I think on Sunday, Sometimes players, you just want to let them keep playing. They find the rhythm. They, you know, they've got confidence. They're going well. And sometimes you don't want to hold them back. Uh, you'd be a frustrated Brumbies fan or Australian rugby fan if the Brumbies don't come out and and really hit the ground running early against the Waratah side that is trying, as Darren Coleman said, to dig their way out of the hole. He's almost a bit of. I just hit me then a throwback to say a Mark Bartholomew's for the Brumbies, Andy Muirhead, isn't he? A guy who you know, was was so um, a, such a big part of their, you know, premierships teams there around the um, 2001, 2004 um, days that uh, I think, I don't know whether he actually ever played a test at all, but um, just was a constant continued performer for the Brumbies, never really put a foot wrong. And, and Andy Muirhead is certainly that these days. Um, I guess then, you know, if we, we jump forward a few hours to, to the Waratahs, um, as we mentioned earlier, uh, yeah, they were... Were they better? I, I guess you were there. Um, 24-14, they went down to the Chiefs. It was a, a rugged defensive game. Both teams dropped a lot of pill, didn't they? It was, um, yeah, you know, it's pretty much the same story for New South Wales. That They're really lacking that continuity in attack. Obviously, the injuries haven't helped 
um, with with partnerships and, and building a bit of you know flow through these early rounds of the season. But uh, I don't think that's an excuse for how many balls they still did drop the other night. I text my brother who was there. I said, mate, is it raining? And I can't see it on television because I can't remember a, a handling performance like it. Yeah, and Brad Weber said that he thought it was greasy, the conditions, uh, after when we spoke to him. But you listen to people like Stephen Hoyles in the commentary and he said there was no excuses whatsoever. And I kind of share that. It was a pretty nice night to play footy. Look, I I went to the bathroom halfway through that game and at halftime and there was a pretty high-profile Wallopies person there who uh, described it as disgraceful. Um, it was a very average first half. You can say that the Waratahs fought and fair play to them. They really um, defended stoutly. I thought fair play, but there was no attack. That attack was horrible. And it was from the first minute. You know, I think it was right on the 55-second mark that an out-the-back play first phase error from Ben Donaldson into an, a proper error and knock-on. Uh, I think at 12, it was just clanky and it's been clanky all year. Um, Angus Bell was huge for their starter plays, but they've got to really make sure that they simplify their game plan, give themselves a chance by just holding on to the ball. And it's now comes down to player accountability as much as anything. And and yes, that they did the, the first, um, I think, not that I've ever been on a footy field like that, but... If you're Michael Checker had that great ability to get players up, and the first thing that you thought from Michael Checker's side, especially in their run to the World Cup final in 2015, was that we're going to fight and fight to the death. And we saw a Waratah side just put a, a little mark in the ground to go, you know what? We're not firing, but we're going to make it really tough for an opposition side to score. So something to build on, but they're, they're, they're starting a long way back. and. When you think, oh, I don't think that they can get close to the Brumbies this weekend unless unless for some miraculous turnaround because at the moment they look miles off the pace uh, and Eddie Jones, I, I wouldn't, I would think he'd be rubbing out a lot of names at the moment that that are Waratahs players. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, I was, yeah, I felt for for Ben Donaldson, it was just one of those nights, wasn't he? He seemed to shell everything that that came his way and. A lot of confusion in, in how they were trying to attack. And um, I don't think you can probably turn that around. As you say, going to Canberra this week and, and really, you know, come out and, and give the Brumbies a, a good run. Um, they'll have to keep it tight because there's some serious issues with um, how they're uh, trying to um, use the ball. Uh, Rebels Reds, I uh, really enjoyed this game. Um, perhaps a little loose defensively, but um, there were, the Rebels are almost, I guess, the the anti-Waratahs at the moment, aren't they? They're getting some just brilliant continuity and flow in their attack. Um, and I think, you know, they've, Kevin Foote's given them the, the confidence to to play that way. You think about the the number of tries they've scored this year from, from little grubbers. Now, we all often moan when we see a grubber go in, but the one the other night from Stacey Illy that uh, Monte Ioani came through, scooped up, stepped inside and 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 then passed back to, uh, to Ryan Lowndes for the try it was just a beautifully worked little try and, there was a couple of others in there as well. They're they're playing with a with a confidence that the Waratahs just just don't have right now. And you know they they could easily they probably should have beaten the Force first up. Um, the Hurricanes were just too good late on, but they gave them a good run. Um, they played some good footy against the Chiefs. I, I think this is you know outside of the Brumbies that the Rebels are probably the the team that can that are playing the best out of the Aussie Aussie Five at the moment. Yeah, and, and they're giving some glimmers of hope about the Melbourne franchise on a whole. And you're right to point out that impressive kick from Stacey Ely that Monte Ioani picks up well and Ryan Lawrence scores. And, and, and you think about it as well, there's been uh, tries against the Waratahs that came from kicks too, and two of them in a row, firstly to Hodge and then to, to Lockie Anderson. Yep. There's clearly been a, a tweak in the game plan. I think Tim Sanson's doing a great job. I think he also, what he provides is real calmness. And we're seeing that with some of the decision making, but also the execution of skills. And I think of guys like Anderson, who had, was a reasonable Australian Seppens player, he came across and people thought, oh, he might be all right. For the first two years, he couldn't catch a cold in Super Rugby. He was 
I'll, I'll say this most underwhelming super rugby player I've seen um, that comes with a bit of a reputation. But this year, he's 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 clicked and things have started to click for him and he looks like he should be there and you can see that he's playing with the confidence as well. Yep. A likeable person, um, continues to do those things well. That, and, and he's a living example, I think, of what the Rebels are doing at the moment. But the midfield punch that... Guys like uh, David Fellow, who I managed to provide in the midfield, comes in for an injured Reese Hodge, and the back line still clicks. And then, you know, the back row did really, really well too. Uh, you know, you've got uh, Violini uh, coming in and immediately providing some impetus and getting over the game line. Great acquisition from the Blues. So, yeah, some positive signs. And when you think about it, they've lost Richard Hardwick and, and, the, and the back row continues to fire. And Josh Kemeny starting to make his way back. He, like Lockie Swinton, missed about a year worth of rugby. And you can just see Kemeny starting to find his feet there after a, probably a slow start, starting to find his feet. And with that front row that they offer both from starters and finishers, they've got a really impressive foundations that they can start set pieces generally always going to hold up and at times dominate the concern this week going to Fiji is one they're going to Fiji and it's damn hot and hard to keep up with the Fijians who like to play with such pace and if I'm the Brumbies I'm playing a Rebels kind of uh, if I'm the Rebels I'm playing a Brumbies S game plan being structured but it's a tough blow when they lose Trevor Jose this week who's Starting to find his feet as well after missing last year. He is a he is their kind of set piece line out operator. It's a big blow losing him to a, a head knock. Yeah, a fair bit of talk about. It. I think Ekuasi, the number eight, had come across from Auckland. Might have played a couple of games for the Blues off the bench last year, but um, yeah, good pick up there. And I think a few more of the, what we are seeing, and we know it happened with the Burn City boys that the, the Polynesian community down there, the rugby community is is really strong. We're now seeing even more of these guys come into the Rebels. That these are mm. these are Melbourne or Victorian rugby players, aren't they? They're not, you know, of course, there's the Carter Gordon's come down from Queensland and Anderson, I think, from from New South Wales and Pincus the same from from New South Wales to to name a few. But there's a there's now a number of guys throughout this squad who are homegrown talents. And you've got to say that they've come in for a fair bit of criticism over the years, the Rebels, and and probably a lot of it on the money. But um They've got their program um, in order, their house in order down there, haven't they? They're, they're getting the best out of these local guys that are that are coming through, and and we're, we're seeing that within the Rebels. So, um, a good uh, bit of a shout out to um, Nick Nick Styles and, and everyone else down there. Um, the Force uh, look better, I think, uh, against a, an understrength Blues team, um, but still, they never really looked like winning the game, did they? They got some good value out of uh, Kibariki again. Um, the and Spink, I think the other import from um, from Wasps. Um, look, they're, they're finish up this week. I think the Hurricanes. It's been a tough road trip for them. Highlanders, Blues, Hurricanes. Three weeks three in New Zealand. Um, I don't expect them that they'll get close to the Hurricanes, but if they can keep, you know, uh, hold their heads, uh, keep a bit of pride um, in the scoreboard as they did on the weekend, then they'll return home and. You know, you probably back them to pick up at least two, three wins on the on the run in back in Australia in Perth, and that might be enough to to get them over the line. But it's yeah, they're they're still they're a big work in progress, really, aren't they? Under under Simon Cron, huge work in progress. If if they had played though the way that they did against the Blues as a week earlier um, against the Highlanders, they would have won that game against the Highlanders because that, it was a much improved performance. Sam Spink. Yes, he's come back from injury, so he uh, like that probably changed the way that they played. But uh, they they were reasonable against the Blues. They just don't have the 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 class probably in the halves at the moment. First, I thought they they looked better with Hamish Stewart at ten. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's probably a reasonable shout. Spink though is the guy that they've been looking for for a long time. Someone who can just get them over the game line that provides punch. Spink had three hit-ups in about six phases uh, on the Blues' kind of inside their 22 midway through the first half when they managed to score a try there. Uh, he, he, yeah, yeah, I'm impressed by him. He's a good player. And obviously those other two, and, and Gareth Simpson as well, are there that, that we didn't mention before. But 
they just need to keep building and building and staying tight. And hopefully this group that's there at the moment don't get injured because if they can just stay together, get a bit tighter, things will start to turn around from a little bit. But it was definitely a proven from the Highlanders game where they could have won that, but they just didn't have the class or execution, particularly defensively. They showed a lot more defense, much like the Waratahs, defensively, they, they did aim up more. The fact that they only conceded, yes, the Blues were missing about 10 first-choice players, but the fact that they had about 30% of possession in that first half and the first 50 minutes had no ball, but they only conceded about four tries, I thought it was an improved showing. All right, mate, before we wrap up this week, um, Eddie Jones, we think to name a uh, somewhere between 40 and 44-man squad um, potentially as early as Sunday uh, this week um, for a training camp. Um, he's first as Wallabies coach since his return. Now, um, that's is a... That's a is it his first or his second after his well, draft? How many uh, drafts have we had? Uh, it'll be interesting. It's going to be full of intrigue, right? In, in any World Cup year, these sorts of things generate uh, interest and enthusiasm and and have us guessing around who might or, or might not be in it. But um, it's obviously a big number. Um, we've spoken previously around how potentially the play of the Waratahs and Reds might cost some of their players to a degree. You know, it's it's not a, it might not be such an impact at this time around given that number. But um, say if it was a, a 36-man rugby championship squad, then you, you would potentially see that. But I, I guess if we do a little bit of a whip around the franchises and just see a few guys who we think are knocking on the door who potentially haven't been there before or who have and have dropped down the, the radar since. Um, we, we know the the Waratahs, uh, if we start there, uh, Eddie uh, had Max Jorgensen's name on, on his list. Um, we would discuss at the time whether that was all subterfuge from from Ed, but um, the, I think the more popular belief was that it was, no, there was some truth to it. Um, I, I guess who else in that? team is has their players i said will we see donaldson and potentially tane edmed miss the cut um this time around and the form of some others and who else at the waratahs i guess is, is catching your eye and potentially might sneak in uh that might not have previously oh, i'm scratching my head at the waratahs um for guys that might have played themselves in we know that langy gleason was part of that previous wallaby squad i think he's probably the only person in that forward pack where you go He's actually made a difference. Charlie Gamble's injury, uh, I think he'll probably be there, Gamble, uh, even though we've only seen parts of him or in eight or six. He hasn't really played seven yet because Hooper's been there. I think those two, in, in terms of the pack, um, whether or not we see a Tolu Latu, I'm not sure, but this weekend's fixture could be a big one uh, yep. for, for his case. From a backline perspective, though, guys like Izzy Parisi, I'm not sure if he's done enough to, to get a look in at this point in time. And I think you'd probably admit it. He said he got a full finger out last week, this mm. time last week. Um, thought, he was, thought he was a bit better Friday night, I must admit. Yeah, he certainly was. He certainly was. And yes, he'd come back from another guy from, from injury, but... It, form and selection and making sure that you're putting yourself front and centre, he hasn't done that nearly enough. So I think Jorgensen's one. The big question will be either if either of the Tars 10s make it. At this point in time, given that guys like Quade Cooper and Samu Karevi, Bernard Foley won't be in that squad presumably, I think one of them makes it just, and that might be a Ben Donaldson, but you wouldn't you wouldn't blow up if he wasn't there, would you? Um so few and far between at the Waratahs, but Max Jorgensen, he will certainly be there. No doubt about that. Uh, Brumbies, I've got written down here, uh, Rory Scott, Luke Reimer, Corey Toole. Look, I, I think Corey Toole, he could be one of the first names on, on the squad sheet, really. Um, I've loved his play. He's got that real lightning acceleration and speed, doesn't he? He's got that. That's that's probably the something that comes from the sevens program that's that's underrated. That real ability to when there's a tackle to get in there and win that first contact, the clean out, because we know how important that is in sevens. Um, to hit that, you know, as soon as your, your teammate is, is tackled, to get in there and and make that clean out or, or secure that possession. So I, I think he'll be there. Um, I think we we're talking about previously. I think Ryan Lonigan has probably jumped potentially in front of. 
certainly Jake Gordon and, and maybe even Tate McDermott as well. I think he's my probably my number two scrum half, given what we've seen from him this year. Um, we know, obviously, all the guys loaded through their tight five. Um, a chance of either of the, the young props, do you think, Blake Shop or, or Reese Van Neck, could they potentially be on the radar? Good question. Yeah. Look, I think all those names that you've said, uh, I think, are on the money. I think oh, I'm not sure if Rhymer's there at this moment, um, but I like the look of Rory Scott. How good was his baseball the other day, the other night? Beautiful. Um, to, to Corey Tool, wasn't it? It was just yep. sublime. That was, you know, cut out a couple, pace on it. He's a guy that's had raps coming through as well, real youngster. So keep watching him. But uh, look, I don't think there'll be too many surprises. And up front, potentially one of them, maybe a Blake shop potentially gets in there. Um, I think you'll still see someone like an Angus Bell on that training squad, even though he's injured, because he will certainly come back into the mix down the track and I couldn't imagine that there's going to be too much running going on in that training camp. And there will uh, be some some meetings with Wallaby's medical staff too, you would assume as well. Yeah, yeah, of course. He, and he's one of the guys that you want there. But yeah, I've been super impressed by Corey too. And you you bang on about the breakdown presence and the awareness more than anything. Um, it's a really, really valid point, that one. Rebels, uh, skipper Brad Wilkin, probably another number seven in the mix. Um, we've spoken about him a lot already this year. Uh, Trevor Hosea, obviously, uh, the concussion from the weekend. Um, and Carter Gordon, uh, a man, again, who we spoke about earlier. Um, he could be the real beneficiary of perhaps this, you know, this slow start from the Waratahs and, and Edmed and, and Donaldson. And I think, you know, I I thought the last couple of weeks, maybe the talk was was premature, around Carter there's a few obviously you know this his game is still developing he's only a, a young fella I think in just his third year of, of super rugby but um you would have to say on the on the evidence of, of certainly on the weekend that he probably deserves a to be in that squad ahead of um Donaldson and Edmed for me I, I I think I think we'll see him there on on Sunday he's playing well he's playing off the back of a, a forward pack that's more or less getting front football and and serving it up and he's doing some wonders with it yeah he's going well it would be interesting carter gordon i don't know if i would want him playing for the wallabies yet but i think eddie jones wants to have a look at him to yep. go what's he about so you, the, the interesting equation with this kind of squad is how much is eddie jones looking for the rugby championship in the world cup and how much is he thinking these guys are players for the future over the next two years and in the I, I mix to, for Alliance. Need to let them know it, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and that, that's what I consider. But look, I think otherwise, I, I can't imagine that there'll be too many surprises from the Rebels. I think um, Kabos Eloff is someone who I I like. I think he's getting better. He looks about 44, but is only 24. He, I don't believe he's eligible yet, but should be eligible to play for okay. Wallabies from, from next year. So he's, I don't think he would be there, but I think he would be there otherwise. So uh, Pone Farm Sealy, I think he will return. Uh, I think he's made some really strong progress. Uh, and Matty Gibbons going pretty well. I think he yep. had some good moments over the weekend too. So I think we'll see a couple of guys in that tight five. The thing that I wonder about Brad Wilkin is, does he have the explosiveness in it for international rugby at the moment, that the way that the Wallabies will want to play their game? I'm not sure. That's the only thing that's potentially holding me back there. Well, he's, I guess he's more of your traditional seven in the sense that he's he's not going to put a lot of yards on the ball, is he? He's not going to no. line up for eight or ten carries and... And give you a couple of line breaks, like has been the you know the as Michael Hooper has done for the lion's share of, of his career. Um, he'll probably win you a few balls at the breakdown and make himself a nuisance at, at many others, but he's he's not going to give you that um, that real thrust or energy on the attacking side of the ball. Yeah, he's not a um, he's he's not like your Michael Hooper or your Tom Curry's or even your Sam Underhills or your your Jack Willis's who are really explosive figures that Eddie was really liking out of England, but. What he does, though, is defensively, he's very good. On, on the defensive side of the ball, he's great. Um, he's useful in the line-out. He, he's a bit like a Pocock kind of figure than a Hooper kind of figure. So just probably depends on how Eddie Jones sees his back row configuration, I think. Reds-wise, um, James O'Connor, uh, do we expect to see him in this squad? 
great question. Uh, someone that I would say, I would say, yeah, I, I reckon he's a chance. And I think he's a chance at this point in time because you don't know if Quade Cooper is going to be there, how he's going to come back from an injury perspective. He's got a calming kind of influence. And I think he's shown enough to... The, the calmness is something that I like. World Cup experience. Um, he could offer a fair bit. I think it'll it'll help his confidence as well. I think there's probably more benefit if you're thinking about the World Cup and what Eddie Jones has said to everyone in Australia is, I'm not looking past October 28. And if he's not looking past October 28, who would you prefer at 10 for the Wallabies? Ben Donaldson or James O'Connor? or even a Carter Gordon for that matter. At this moment, if it was a World Cup final this year and you had to choose between them, I'd go O'Connor at the moment. That's how I would see it. I think he's still, you know, he, he's not he's not the true number 10, the out-and-out out number 10. He's he not, he doesn't have the pace that he might once had, but he's still got something about him and a little bit more of the lemon to kind of squeeze out in his career, I'd say. Couple of other reds, um, Liam Wright. He's he's a guy who's played a handful of tests, and and I guess kind of gets caught between. He's probably a six and a half, really, isn't he? He's he's that kind of player. Um, captaining the Reds again. Uh, great to see him having a, a run without injury for one. Um, he's probably a guy that you think he's going to be right on that 40-44 cutoff potentially. Um, but Josh Fluke has has he done enough? I know Eddie's big on the power game. He's reinforced that again recently. And, and that's probably the one thing where, where Josh Fluke is, is going to be lacking. He's not a big guy. He's not a big center or, or a winger by that. Um, anybody in stretch of the imagination, but do you, again, do you get him in? Do you have a look at him um, a little bit closer and say, righto, Josh, this is what we want to see from you. We know you're probably lacking 10 kilos and, you know, 20 centimeters, potentially the way I want to play the game, but, but potentially you can, Show me something else that um, you know brings you closer into the kind of player that I want to see. It's he's an interesting one. Yeah, it's a, another good question. I I love Josh Blurick. I think he's a great player. I, I, he to me has always struggled when he's had a smaller inside center um, there, when and and that midfield just hasn't had enough punch because, as you say, he's he's not the world's biggest center, um, and you need punch and size now in the middle in midfield. I think, or at least one of them. Uh, I would have him in there. I think he's a great 13. If you want to have a look at like what he can do, I forget the exact game, but it was probably early last year where under huge amounts of pressure, he manages to put a, a kick off the, almost like a banana kick. And I think, I think the Reds scored. Murray Kinsler, I remember, put it out as well as, as a gif, and I was going back to it recently. He's got a skill set there that's sharp. I like the fact that he's a good talker, good communication, good leadership skills. It was the schoolboys captain for that side that beat the New Zealand schools in 2019 when he played alongside guys like Joseph Suali'i yep. and Atolu Koala um, uh, from, from the Manly Seagulls as well now. So he's someone that I would have in there, but Liam Wright's a good question. Six and a half is a great description. And we know what he thought originally of guys like James Haskell and Chris Robshaw. You're not going to be able to play both and, and include both Liam Wright and Brad Wilkin. The two are, for me, like for like. Wilkin's... Oh, it's a toss of the coin at the moment between the two of them, I think. They're both, they're both giving themselves a chance to, to get into that reckoning. Force probably, you know, we don't expect them to, to throw up a lot. There could be, you know, a couple of surprises in there potentially. Uh, Falafying, you, you think, given what he's done in the Wallaby jersey previously, even though I find him one of the more infuriating players in the team, given his penchant for giving away penalties and, and cannonball tackles, of which probably yesterday I thought he might have been fortunate to get away with a couple. Um, Tim Anstey's been in previously under Dave Reddy for one of these April camps. Um, and then there's a guy, you know, you probably got to throw into the halfback mix. And I know you're a fan of him, Isaac Fines, Leila Wasa. Yeah, I am. And I think it's because he provides a point of difference. And I don't, I'm not quite sure what it is. And maybe it's the fact that the forwards are tiring and he can come on and inject some pace into the game. I've not ever seen him start a game well. 
And why that is, I'm not sure, but I've seen him come off the bench multiple times and just change it, give them a... a he, he just seems like he's got a real freedom to express himself. So he's a guy that I don't think will necessarily come into the mix immediately, but he's showing enough to kind of go, right, maybe maybe not this year, but potentially next year. I I actually would have him almost in front of Orion Lonigan because of the point of difference that he provides. I think Lonigan's a good, honest player. I'm not sure if he's got a point of difference in his game. Um, and I, I, my pecking order still with the halfback situation would be White, McDermott, even though he's not been nearly at his best, McDermott. And then perhaps a Lonigan at the moment, if you were to go three, but you've got to have a point of difference off the bench. You can't have two guys that are, I don't think, the exact same. You need to be able to change the tempo and change the course for game because otherwise why take off the player? if they're doing such an outstanding job. So interesting discussions and the fact that we're deliberating, talking about it, which I really know where a number of these fringe selections are going to go. You imagine that Eddie Jones will be much more concise and strong in his thinking, but I'm sure he'll be strongly considering a lot of different players that maybe we haven't even thought of. And, and to go back to what Drew Mitchell said, he, he thinks that there'll be some genuine bolters that will be named in this squad. And to be fair, the fact that the Brumbies are the only side at the moment that is delivering on consistent performances points to the fact that it's pretty wide open because the Waratahs have been well short of their own expectations and the Rebels, as you say, have probably impressed uh, more than than most of the other Aussie sides. Yeah, always a, an exciting time. The first, even if it's a large number, an extended squad of 40 to 44, as we, as we think it will be, um, kind of gives you a... An early look at what uh, Eddie's thinking, and you know what are we round six this week that we're a, we're a third of the way through the, the Super Rugby season. So, you know those guys who who miss out this weekend will have the message that you know they need to lift their game and, and lift it quickly. So, um, we'll look forward to that on Sunday, uh, mate. I think that's a pretty good wrap for the day. Um, I'm probably not too far out of going back to bed and hopefully shaking the last of this. Gastro, uh, thanks for your time. Um, there'll be a busy week. I know it was a busy week last weekend and a busy weekend. Uh, there's a real buzz in the game, as we we said. Um, we'll, uh, the rugby just has to take the, the criticism, I guess, from other parts on on signings like this. But um, I think you know most people will agree that this is a this is a big deal, and and, and certainly Joseph is going to add something to the game. Yeah, completely agree. And uh, look, the fact that people were talking about rugby is a really positive thing. But it's what about four or five months until the Rugby World Cup quickly coming and the fact that a Wallabies squad is just around the corner is an exciting thing. Um, Eddie Jones will have to answer some questions around how his thinking has been cagey over the last couple of months about selection. There's not going to be a captaincy naming anytime soon, uh, but very, very interested to see what his squad is. But um, you make sure you get back and uh, hopefully you're feeling better soon. Thanks, mate. Uh, good night's sleep. I should be good to go. All right, team, uh, thanks again. Uh, as ever, reach out, hit us up with any questions, and we'll be back, I assume, to break down this squad and another week um, this time next week, hopefully uh, gastro pending, and uh, we'll talk to you then. Cheers.